Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Welcome back to episode Five of the Fertility Friendly Food Podcast. So please, you can join me again today. And this podcast is brought to you by my free ultimate preconception lifestyle checklist for him and for her, which is now available to download via my website, thedietologist.com.au forward slash freebies. It's got your supplement guide covered, diet and lifestyle for both you and your partner to get your fertility in tip top shape before you try to conceive. Now onto the episode. So today's episode is all about endometriosis and diet. And before I dig into really specific topics about endo, I really wanted to lay this foundation just like I did in the last episode about PCOS, because this is another really big presentation in fertility clinics. There's reports that up to 50% of cases uh, in fertility clinics are endometriosis. Now, I know I said up to 50% of PCOS, but all this data comes from different places, so it's not all going to match up. But basically, a lot of people coming for fertility help with endometriosis. And in fact, a lot of women, I think almost half of them, are not being diagnosed up until that they're trying to conceive. Most women walk around not knowing that they have endometriosis. And I think it's because we have this idea as women that periods are painful and you have to be in bed and you can't go about your daily life and that's just normal. That's not normal. (laughs) Um, And that's what I tell my clients is this is not normal to be in pain or to have such heavy periods that you're not sure whether you're leaking or not. That's not normal. And so we really need to investigate it. And it might not be endometriosis. It could be fibroids. It could just be heavy menstrual bleeding. It could be something else. But it is important to find this information out if you are planning to have a family one day, whether that's sooner or later, um, so you can be informed about what you can and can't do going forward to help yourself with endometriosis. So what is endo? Endo is where the, endo is for sure, by the way, is where the lining of the uterus called the endometrium grows outside of the uterus. It might grow on the ovaries, might grow on the small intestine, it might grow on the fallopian tubes, it might grow into the canal of the vagina. And there's even been cases where it's grown in the lungs. And even one woman, there was endometriosis found in her eye. So it's not just a disease of the reproductive system. It originates, the tissue is reproductive tissue, yes, but it doesn't just affect that one organ. It can affect multiple systems of organs, which makes this disease actually so scary for so many women. 
the reason that this is occurring is yet to be understood. We have a few different theories as to why it is. Um, we think it might be something to do with autoimmune dysfunction or some kind of immune problem, which is stopping, which isn't stopping that endometrium growing outside where it's meant to grow. And certainly we're starting to see more literature coming out showing that there's a higher prevalence of autoimmune conditions like celiac disease or Shulgin syndrome or autoimmune thyroiditis like Hashimoto's disease. So we're seeing this clustering effect. Now, that doesn't mean it is an autoimmune condition. It's just pointing in that direction. The gut microbiome, there seems to be some link there. Retrograde menstruation where there's this dysfunction in a backflow of menstrual flow um, back into the uterus and um, fallopian tubes. There seems to be some relationship with environmental pollutants such as dioxins or pesticides, which can explain this increase in incidence of endometriosis. And there's this also this question about longer exposures to estrogen. So if you get your period a lot earlier or younger um, and having menopause a lot later, you're exposing over your lifespan to a lot more estrogen than someone who has their period a little bit later and goes through menopause a little bit earlier, for example. There used to be some idea that there was a family history component, but we can't seem to show such a huge difference between first degree female relatives. So your sister, your mum, and a particular woman having endo versus those who just have it with no known other um, relative. So um, basically unknown. It affects one in 10 Australian women, which is just huge. Um, And we're really like grateful that the government is now putting together a national action plan for endometriosis because so much money is being spent on women with endo, not just by the the health system, but the women themselves. Um, And most of the money that's being, I guess, spent or lost is in days missed from work or school. Um, And the symptoms of endometriosis can range from pelvic pain, pain during menstruation, pain during ovulation, pain with urination, um, going to the bathroom to open your bowels, pain during sex altered bowel function and that's because we're getting those these patches of endometriosis growing on the bowel which can cause it to contract more for example and of course heavy menstrual bleeding there's also a few other symptoms um, but these are some of the the main players that I talk to um, women about to be thinking about so I want to talk to briefly a about diet and endometriosis because I speak to a lot of healthcare professionals who don't seem to get the relationship. There is no relationship between diet and endometriosis. Endo is endo. Um, You know, we go in, we cut it out or we go in and do hormonal um, therapies or, um, you know, we just live with it and we just do IVF and so be it. Um, But there's actually quite a bit of research that's come out looking at diet and endometriosis. And in fact, there was one study done back in 2017 um, that looked at what dietary factors increase and decrease the risk of actually developing endo. So the things that increase risk were trans fats, 
red meat and interestingly fruit. Now, the reason why I say interestingly fruit is you're like, what on earth? Why it does, a, a, you know, a food that we, we think is so healthy for us, it being associated with an increased risk of a condition. Um, and we think that might actually be due to the pesticides on fruit. Um, and we tend to more likely to eat the skin of fruit um, such as stone fruit or an apple, for example, that we're being exposed to those pesticides. Now, there's always this debate in endo about organic versus non-organic and what to do about that. There is evidence to suggest that pesticides play a role in endometriosis, in, at least in the development stage. Now, whether it makes existing endometriosis worse, we don't know. But if you're really keen to avoid them, sure, go organic, but it's it's not cheap um, and it's definitely not accessible for everyone to do so. And it's definitely not something that I push for in my practice because I think there's so many other things that you can be doing before getting to that point. And there's things that you can be smart about. You know, if it's a food that you don't really consume the skin of, like a banana, there's it's unlikely to be beneficial to go organic, for example, um, versus something like strawberries where you'd always eat the skin, for example. doesn't mean you have to only buy organic strawberries, but I'm just saying like if you were to be selective, that's, that's how I would be thinking about it. Interestingly, there's some science to suggest that actually washing your fruits and vegetables in a baking soda wash can help reduce some of the pesticide load that you're then consuming. So that's something that I think we can probably make room for in our routine and is, you know, a lot more accessible than buying organic produce. So what about the things that reduce the risk of endometriosis? Well, these included dairy foods, and that's because we think that the vitamin D containing aspect was helpful. B group vitamins, so our, our B complex vitamins from breads and cereals, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, legumes, and of course, animal products for B12, vegetables and a high antioxidant diet, dietary fiber, so getting enough of that rough stuff as well as soluble fiber in the diet, healthy fats, fish and fish oils were also helpful. There was not enough evidence for alcohol, soy and caffeine at this time. Now, I want to also do a brief overview of um, gluten and endometriosis because Again, this is a really popular topic and it was, you know, I don't know, five five to ten years ago, super trendy for everyone to go gluten-free, which has been amazing for the celiac community because there's just so much, so many more options. But the downside is no one tends to take you seriously when you actually need to be on a gluten, strict gluten-free diet because people just think it's a dietary choice. Um, but in 2012, 207 patients with endometriosis were trialed on a gluten-free diet for 12 months and 75% reported a significant change in symptoms that was an improvement and 25% reported no improvement or worsening of symptoms. And so overall, nobody got worse in that 12 months, which was good because we know that endometriosis has this progressive um, nature to it. It gets worse over time. Um, there was also in improvements in the scores of physical functioning, general health, vitality, social functioning, and mental health in all women. So there seems to be something to um, the gluten-free diet potentially for endometriosis. Now, whether that's because of the the protein itself, gluten, 
or whether it's because of the carbohydrate component fructan, which is a FODMAP or um, uh, one of the known FODMAP triggers for, say, irritable bowel syndrome, which we know women with endo have more of. And I think I'll talk about endo and IBS in another episode. Uh, It's a whole different beast. But is it the fructan, the carbohydrate, or is it the gluten, the protein? We don't know. Um, uh, This study was actually done in Italy, so I'm assuming they didn't eliminate garlic and onion, which are another two major sources of fructans in the diet. So is it is it that protein or is it the carbohydrate or is it a placebo effect because there was no control group? So that's another consideration. The other one I hear lots about is soy and endometriosis. Now, for those who have endo, you know that endo loves estrogen. It's an estrogen-loving disease. It feeds off it, helps it grow and thrive and gets all those patches and sticks everything down together. And soy foods do contain phytoestrogens that are naturally occurring estrogens that can weakly mimic estrogen in the body. So it weakly binds those estrogen receptors. Now, there's no research yet. However, there's some nutrition professionals that show that it's important to minimize in the diet. In terms of risk of developing endo, the jury is still out. Um, what my recommendation is, is you don't have to com- avoid it completely, especially if you're vegan, vegetarian, and you're relying on soy as a key protein source in your diet. Just focus on the unrefined stuff. Focus on endamame and tofu and tempeh and not those overly refined soy protein or fake meat kind of products that are on the market. Now, lastly, I just wanted to cover as well um, one more tip that I have for endometriosis and diet, which is all about brassica or cruciferous vegetables, such as cauliflower, broccoli, bok choy, kale, cabbage, and Brussels sprouts, just to name a few. And the reason why I talk to women about these particular vegetables is because they contain a particular antioxidant known as indoles. Um and a particular one called I3C or indole-3-carbonyl. And this has been studied specifically from these vegetables to help aid the liver's ability to naturally inactivate um, or detoxify estrogen. Now, I hate using the word detoxify because everyone thinks of like a detox and I don't mean it that way. Our liver is naturally able to detox things. And as soon as I talk, say liver and detox, I feel automatically dirty, but this is what's happening in the body. And if we can support this process by providing it enough of the right antioxidants to help inactivate that estrogen, then there'll be less estrogen around for it to feed the endometriosis. So that's why it's so important. Um, And I think as well, the other component to that is getting enough fiber from fruits and vegetables and cruciferous vegetables are included um, because we want to help feed the the good gut bugs in the gut microbiome that lives in our large intestine, in our bowel, um, because certain um, bacteria or bugs that live in there actually make an enzyme that can either activate or deactivate or change the function of estrogen. So we want to make sure that we have enough of those good bacteria that are doing the good jobs for us with those hormones to help us along as well. So for those ladies with endo um, and we're thinking, oh, what can I do about this besides going back and and talking to your surgeon, for example? Um, Yes, there are some dietary things that you can do. Will you be symptom-free just from diet? Probably not, 
but at least it's one thing that you are doing to help yourself. Um, and I could talk on and on about different specific things that you could do for endometriosis, but at the end of the day, this gives us a good picture of what it is, um, how much it affects fertility and what you what the research is at this point in time. Now, just one more note, I guess, as well on um, fertility and endometriosis, because I've had a few women reach out to me and be like, oh my goodness, I did not expect to become pregnant. I have endo. They said it was going to take ages. Just because you have endometriosis doesn't necessarily mean you'll have a tough time conceiving. It just may, might be part of the picture. Um, and like I said, endo is a progressive disease. So you want to get on top of it as soon as you can. So if you or you know someone who's experiencing heavy or painful periods or just pelvic pain that isn't right, please go and get yourself checked out. The reason why it affects fertility so much is um, we think there's um, some contractions going on with the endometriosis patching to different things, which means that the organs don't move as freely as they can in the cavity. And they can cause um, too much contraction of the um, reproductive organs, which can make it really hard for the embryo to implant. So a few considerations for you about diet and endometriosis. I do have a couple of blog posts specific for endometriosis up on my website, thedietologist.com.au. If you'd like to book a free 15-minute discovery call with me and we can chat about your nutrition for endo, please don't hesitate to reach out. This is something I see really frequently in my practice and help many women with. Um, so yeah, just head to my website, thedietologist.com.au to book that as well. Don't forget, whilst you're there, to download my free preconception lifestyle checklist for him and for her. It's not disease-specific. It's just general fertility-friendly food recommendations. Um, then you can grab that for free as well whilst you're there. Until next time, everyone. Bye.